Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. As sports keeps coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, BetOnline.ag. Major League Baseball's back, and BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. And don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. episode of the bird calls podcast i'm your host and contributor to the birdrights.com and bleacher report preston ellis today we're putting a bow on the bubble and we're moving toward what could be a franchise shifting off season for what feels like the third year in a row to help us we've got editor-in-chief to the birdrights.com the man who will hold up any podcast to walk his pups mr ali cosell what's up (laughs) nothing the pups got walked so good news there Nice. All right. We got the host to harden the paint, the man who pulls no punches when it comes to small forwards who refuse to shoot, Mr. David Grab. What's up, Rob? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. The long national nightmare has ended. <laughs> what do you mean, Kenrich Williams tenure in New Orleans? That and this season. So, I'm, you know, it's, it's, we can move on now. I can start to process and, and go through the phases of uh, grief and acceptance. David, I just got one question for you. You're going to be buying any season tickets soon. What the hell is that? I'm all of a sudden getting emails and phone calls from the Pelicans asking me to buy season tickets. I've not bought a ticket in five years. I have media passes. I don't go to games. I'm, that's I don't their subtle way of saying. <laughs> You're not getting a pass next season yet. <laughs> All right, you guys just heard the Prince of the Protocol as Ali dubbed him, the man who makes money from drawing birds, Mr. Kevin Barrios. What's up, bro? Oh, not much. Uh, doing some editing this morning, trying to get uh, some birds ready for to be sold with prints. Uh, so I think I got a, a print-worthy pick that I'm happy with. So I'm going to go test those out, and then I'll let you all know about those when I'm happy with the quality. And we've got a special guest to the podcast. I think he might be a first-time guest, Mr. Ryan Abair. What's going on, man? Hey, Preston. What's up? Dude, you sound amazing. What kind of microphone are what? you using? <laughs> it's a fifth Before we continue, I got to say, when I got into the group chat, I, when I signed in, Ryan, I just saw Ryan's face because he's the only one that was on video. And then in that voice, that deep voice, I heard him say, I don't have grandparents. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was like listening to the origin story of a Marvel character for a minute. Funny, people don't know okay. this about Ryan, but that's how he always introduces himself as I don't have grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, how are you, man? Exactly. Uh, uh, who would you say is more valuable right now, the Pelicans franchise or Kevin Berrios's, uh pencil drawings of Pelicans? Birds. The drawings. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, uh, we've got eight games in the bubble. The Pelicans were eighth in defensive rating in 36 games heading into this. And then, of course, 49 points to the Clippers uh, or sorry, to the Sacramento Kings in the first quarter against the Clippers. They gave up a franchise record, 25 three pointers. What, what is your takeaway? You're, you're watching these games. You're watching the Pelicans fall flat on their face. What happened, man? And what was your reaction to it? I, I, I man, honestly, I kind of expected it after the Utah game just because I kept looking at it. And I was like, I have six quality wins all year. I had to remind myself they weren't a good team ever. Yeah. 
Is yeah, that I it? Are you going to leave us with that, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> They're not a good team yet. They have a way to go. I mean, he is it, talking to a man it, who has no grandparents, man. He's, you know, <laughs> he's going to keep it real. He's going to be strunt. And, and, and that's what exactly what I put in the, in the game summary for last yes. night is that they weren't a good team. And we were fooling ourselves and we tried to, to make them a good team. And that's just not who they were. Yeah, it was easy to lift them up into some other stratosphere, right? When you start off 6-22, and 22, have a 13-game losing streak, and all of a sudden you're actually winning a couple games a week. It does change your perspective a little bit. Yeah, if nothing else, I, you might not necessarily expect them to beat the Utahs and the Los Angeles Clippers, but the Sacramento Kings, the San Antonio Spurs, you would at least expect a little bit more effort, uh, a bit more of a fight in those instances. Ryan, did it feel like to you the Pelicans were just overwhelmed with their play on the court? Did it feel like they were detached from from giving the effort that we had seen over the last 36 games? Why Why did it feel like these guys just simply didn't have it? I don't know, but if I can tell you're not trying through a TV screen, I'm not very happy with it. Like, short and to the point. I don't I know what was going on. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> like, I don't know what was going on with them, but they tried maybe like two games. And that's not bad. Two out of eight, uh, I'll take that every time. 25% of the time, if 25% of the time, you work every time, as Paul Rudd would say. Uh, let's talk Alvin Gentry, head coach. Uh, obviously, there's there's a lot of rumor mill going on. David Aldridge of The Athletic. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski even got into it and was suggesting some guys the Pelicans might be targeting. I think he threw out Ty Lu and Jason Kidd. Uh, we'll go ahead and, and we'll start with Ali and we'll go clockwise. Ali, do you think Alvin Gentry's tenure in New Orleans is done? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a secret, although many of us didn't talk about it for much of the season. There had been rumors that he was sitting on a hot seat um, because David Griffin was going to move on from him at some point and some point soon. You know, the, I know he wasn't happy with their one and six, one and seven start, whatever that was, where they dropped a couple of close games, um, and especially in the clutch time. They just didn't come through. And of course, that 13 game losing streak. Right. Everybody was upset about that. It wasn't just, you know, one or two people. Pretty much I had heard certain players were, you know, I mean, nobody signed up for that. And, of course, Griff as well. You know, you've got to, even though you weren't expected to make noise, get it, really even get in the playoffs, you still had hoped the team would have never looked as bad as they did or gone on such a prolonged slump. Or, yeah, basically such a prolonged slump. So, Ever since that time, you know, it's just been on and off. And, you know, with the way they finished, with how, you know, this team just never kind of gelled, even though they had some decent performances. I just think that this evaluation season was not just for the players, but for Alvin. People, I think, tend to forget that. Even though he was extended last offseason, right? Or is actually, that's incorrect. The team picked up his option. So I, I still think they'll probably move on from him. There's just been enough clamor. And look, look, David Griffin's not a guy to basically give you additional leeway. No, once he makes up his mind, he he, he goes through with it. You know, I don't think we're going to have any kind of Dell Demps situation where, you know, somebody keeps getting added a year or, hey, maybe we'll just write this off on injuries or whatever. I just feel like Griff is going to be making a decision on Alvin and announcing it soon. You know, whether it's today, tomorrow, maybe Monday, who knows. But I think, yeah, Alvin's definitely done. Kevin, it's definitely been uh, an up and down roller coaster over the five years the Pelicans have had Alvin Gentry uh, with just one playoff appearance in those five seasons, and and a lot of people have been shitting on his performance and his tenure there, and rightfully so. We we haven't won nearly as much as we needed to with superstars like Anthony Davis and, and Zion and Brandon Ingram, etc. With that being said, he's really represented the organization well. I feel he seems like a really nice guy by all accounts. He handles the media very well. Uh, just give us two minutes and tell us why maybe Alvin Gentry got a raw deal in his five years so we can kind of send him off with a bow and and just be done with it in a positive light well i would start off by saying i disagree a little bit with what ollie said because he said that that there shouldn't have been an expectation this year you know it was more of an evaluation year for him when the president came out and basically said this was a year we expect to be a winning team um so i think that was an unfair expectation put upon him um by management this year because you you had such a high roster turnover you had so many young players coming in um you're in the west obviously um so i i felt like that expectation was levied upon him from the very start that this was a winning team uh this is a team that was going to beat people's asses that whole you know 
pro wrestling uh, manager thing that David Griffin threw out there. So the expectation was high this year. Um, and that was a little bit unfair to Alvin Gentry. It should be, you know, I think we can win games, but we got a lot of development to do and build a culture and all of those things should have been more of the talking point than, you know, um, saying that it, we expect to beat people up. Um, and then, of course, you know, he dealt with injuries. He dealt with trade demands. He dealt with the death of a player. Um, so there was a lot of stuff that he dealt with. Um, and, you know, during the, the Anthony Davis trade demands, he was thrown in front of the camera and was the face of that while Dell sat in his office, which, you know, I, I've defended Dell a bit throughout the, the, um, his tenure, too. I think he's made um, some good decisions. He's made some bad decisions. He was also saddled with the same injuries that those two coaches that he that he worked with were saddled with. So you got if you're going to give the coaches a pass, you got to give him a little bit of a pass too. Um, but I, I thought that was uh, that wasn't such a good look uh, to to make Alvin take the brunt of all of that stuff. Um, so yeah, he's definitely dealt with a lot of stuff. But at the end of the day, as we were talking before we started recording, when uh, Monty got fired and Holly sent out roundtable questions and said, who do you think the Pelicans should hire? I answered anyone but Alvin Gentry. And he's basically on the court lived up to what I expected of him. He's exceeded slightly um, with that winning season that we had once he had a roster that more fit with what he wanted to do. But at the end of the day, I just don't think he has the intangibles to be a head coach in the league. I don't think he has the game management skills to be a head coach in the league. I think he's a brilliant offensive coordinator, and that's what he needs to be. Um, and sure, you could say he had a raw deal, but he's always been the wrong man for this job. Well, yeah, I just want to follow up. And I'm, it's not to me an argument. It's just my thing is, a, Alvin was promised something that he was never given when he arrived. He was told he would be given a veteran team and that they were going to adapt that roster to the style of play he wanted. So he, he was saddled with guys who did not fit that mold. And again, the injuries, you talk about how many lineups this team has had over the last five years. Um, you talk about, I think, a dysfunctional relationship between him and uh, Del Demps before. I think uh, David Griffin deserves blame for the things that have happened this season as well, as far as not giving reinforcements in the front court, not going out and finding a perimeter defender when you saw that was your team's greatest area of need defensively. Um, I think that those were huge mistakes that hindered him. I think the way that they handled Zion Williamson in particular um, and, and having the medical staff be the, the the final once they've made that decision and you've taken his play out of the coach's hands, uh, you change those dynamics as well. So I think there's a lot of blame to spread around. But to me, the ultimate thing is not that Alvin is a failure as a coach. I don't think that that's the case. I think you know, and in the, in the NBA, you have guys like Dick Mata who lost tons of games. You have guys like uh, Fint, uh, Bill Fitch who won a championship with the Celtics, but is the losingest coach of all time in the NBA. It's there are coaches who just have to have the right situation. And for Alvin, he needed a group of veterans that were mature and aggressive. He never got that. That's not who this team is. That's not the personalities it's ever been made up of. And ultimately that um, these five years are a failure. You get one playoff appearance in five years. That's a failure. Or Solomon Hill and Dante Cunningham for you to just rake them through the mud like that. Ryan, uh, finish the corner boys, <laughs> the corner boys, Ryan, give us your, your finishing thoughts on Alvin Gentry and his five-year t- Obviously it's not guaranteed that he's out, but that's what we're all assuming. If he is in fact out, Ryan, uh, what were some of your takeaways of his five-year tenure? As a guy, but I, I think it is time to go, <laughs> but, uh, his tenure here was so up and down. What was that stat? He had like all those injuries as everything said, death of a player, all that crap. But, like, still, you're not winning. I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, he had plenty of opportunities over those five years. Uh, regardless of the injuries, uh, you, you can't make too many excuses when you're getting, you know, 70 to 80 games out of Drew Holland and Anthony Davis. Sorry, were you adding on to that? Yeah, I was just saying, like, you watch Anthony Davis now, and I, I just don't get how you don't win with that guy. LeBron helps. Um, yeah, yeah. Huge, <laughs> the fact that Anthony doesn't have to be the number one really helps yeah mm-hmm. 
And you can throw DeMarcus Cousins in there, the untimely injury that, that has, by all accounts, pretty much derailed his career. I'm sure he'll get another uh, shot with a veteran deal, maybe a mid-level. That but... one is the, is the worst what-if, though, because Ali and I know that that was doomed. It was doomed from the start. <laughs> it was, they might be friends off the court, but they hated all three of those guys. Rondo, Boogie, and AD were going to tear each other apart. If they had no, AD was the guy that ran out of the room as quick as possible. Yes, right? he was the it kid. It was Boogie was and Rondo were the guys butting heads. Yeah, AD's the one caught between two parents and not knowing right. which one to, to <laughs> side with. You know, he's trying to figure out who gets Christmas and who gets Thanksgiving. And, <laughs> hey, and then they all went to the Lakers on a right. uh, and then, a joint Christmas. And, and it but, was, I mean, but they, I mean, literally, literally, Rondo and Cousins almost came to blows with weapons in the locker room <laughs> like it's that real that team was not going to make it it wasn't Rondo was so happy when Mark DeMarcus not that he got hurt but that he was no longer part of the rotation because he said it we can now play defense and that's coming from Rondo yeah that they can now play defense he hasn't played defense in five years but that, how much better was he defensively once DeMarcus was gone though yeah <laughs> Isn't it no, sad that that was our most successful season? <laughs> all, right, all right, let's get you some order in here. Go ahead, Kim. The other thing with that team <laughs> is that, uh, you know, it's it's funny now watching how much AD seems to th- enjoy being in the shadows of, of LeBron James because, you know, you saw his frustration in the locker room with DeMarcus Cousins when anytime he would get the shine. You know, when reporters would go talk to him, that really upset Anthony Davis. So there's like this narrative out there that Anthony Davis wanted to leave because we lost to Marcus Cousins and that was his friend. And that's just simply not true. So that needs to something that needs to be said outside of just the friction between Rondo and Cousins. Anthony Davis wasn't happy with the attention that the Marcus Cousins got from the media while he was here. The worst worst thing was that AD didn't like the fact that DeMarcus actually had a presence on the court as a leader, taking, you know, three, what, three, four, five shots in the last three minutes of a close game. That's what really set AD off. I mean, I I think you remember that, right, David? But there was one uh, next game of practice, and we talked to AD, and he he flat out, that's the first time I ever actually heard him say and basically point out that that's never going to happen again, to where he was basically – pointing out and, and admitting a disharmony within the locker room with a certain player. It's the only time it's ever happened. And who did it happen with? DeMarcus. So people need to remember that. Oh, that was the sneak out times. That's when Drew or mm-hmm. AD would literally go behind the walls to avoid talking to us on certain nights. And you had to start pinning them off to say, no, <laughs> you start asking him questions and you start asking him questions and we'll just come together <laughs> in the middle, guys. Because they were doing that on a regular basis. That team was not happy. And, and everybody could point to that January streak. And I know we're getting kind of off track, but everybody points to that January streak. And I said, go again. Go look at those opponents. That was not Murderer's Row. And the one good win you had was over Houston. I don't even count that Boston win. But you get they, if Nico Miritich doesn't get a substantial role on that team, they don't make the playoffs. And they can only get in by winning five games straight at the end of the season. They had just come off of what a six, a four game losing streak, and they had to win five straight to get in, to eke in. Mm-hmm. The deep that dive. Wasn't, in, that wasn't that the deep Oops. dive into the 2017 18 season you all requested. Two years uh, too late. <laughs> yes. Let's go. Uh, let's start with Ollie and we'll work around the horn again. Uh, a lot of questions about who the Pelicans are potentially going to be looking at. Obviously, we, we've got the usual suspects Ty Lue, Jason <laughs> Kidd, Kenny Atkinson, uh, Vanderpool, among others. Uh, Ali, forget about names. What style of coach do you think this young Pelicans roster really needs to develop and take the next step? The number one thing they need is greater discipline because as we saw all season, those turnovers never got curbed. These players were still making silly mistakes. The defense never came together. Um, You you saw the lack of focus and and, and, and inexplicably in some games to where, you know, Lonzo or whoever is making these lazy passes. And when I talk about lazy passes, they're just flipping the ball to a teammate, not aware that there's a defender standing right there coming in for the steal. So there was a lot of maddening play that never went away. So I feel that's a direct result from having three guys, 22 or younger, in the starting lineup. And in general, it's a younger uh, group 
by especially by NBA standards. So they just needed to basically be disciplined, stronger, harder, better, whatever. And that, and under an Alvin Gentry led team, that's never going to happen. I think Alvin can win in this league. I think you give him those vets as David just went into. We've seen examples of it in the past that his style will produce winning basketball for the right mix of uh, players. But this isn't it. You know, Lonzo needed to be reeled in and honed a lot better. Um, Brandon Ingram, you know, defensively, where were people all over him about not doing his job on that end? Because he was a much better defender in L.A. I've had a lot of Laker fans reach out to me and point that out. And when I've looked at tape and all that, they're right. Because I do remember instances. For instance, Griffin, before, you know, he even became general manager of the Pelicans, or I should say executive vice president, sorry, to be correct, because that drives people crazy, is uh, he, he pointed out how Ingram could guard, like, even point guards, commenting on specifically when he defended Kyrie Irving while stayed in front of him. So we never saw that B.I. all year. And, of course, Zion. I mean, it, it's well documented by now because of his bubble play, but he's been a terrible defender all season. Nobody talked about it but us during those 19 games. So that's accountability, and there was none for all those uh, mistakes. And so I just want to see a coach brought in, like I said, that can handle people. So, yeah, I know you don't want names, but, you know, people like Atkinson come to mind, Fizdale, um, Jerry Stackhouse. Like, for instance, I'll, I'll talk about Fizdale since most people don't know is the fact that he's got a great um, history of working with not only great players, molding young players into stars, but also being on superstar teams. So he knows basically what is ahead for this Ingram Zion group. Like, for instance, he started off, I think, in Atlanta, one of his first uh, assistant coaching jobs. And he was given the task of uh, developing Josh Smith. And he flat out said, it was in a podcast on the Knuckleheads. I implore you guys to go check it out this week. Kevin brought it to my attention. But he goes into detail about that. Where he's like, I butted heads with Josh Smith a lot. But you know what? If you look at Josh, he was an efficient and incredible asset to any team during his, you know, pretty much his entire time with Atlanta. And you've got to credit Fizdale for that. Also, Fizz was there to see how you bring together a good championship team and fill it around with role players, right? He understands that dynamic where LeBron, Bosch, and Wade came in and somebody had to basically be the leader. And then you fill out roles from there. So a team needs, like even a Udonis Haslam, a Shane Battier. So I feel like he would be, you know, have a good eye for and a good sense for filling out a roster with Ingram and Zion, saying a few years' time when we're ready to win. So basically, I just want a guy that's got a little bit of experience to him. But the main thing is the, the discipline, right? I just feel like I still want to play fast. I still think in this today's NBA, you've got to go with the trends. And that, of course, is making the free ball and pushing the pace, especially when you have the horses like the Pelicans do. But, man, they've got to rein in and basically be told <laughs> to, uh, you know, just, just think out there. Think the game better. Execute better. And, of course, give effort all the time. All right, let's follow that up with Kevin. Ali mentioned this at the end. Uh, I, I can't remember a, a Pelicans team that didn't play with pace, and I'm, I'm bringing up the numbers uh, right now just in terms of who are the fastest teams in the NBA right now, and they're some of the best teams. Milwaukee's number one, Houston's number two. Of course, then you've got Minnesota number three and Washington number five. But but it's proven that in today's NBA that pace can win. Do you think that's the style the Pelicans need to continue to implement, Kevin? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think with the way the roster's constructed right now, that works. I mean, you're, you're essentially assuming that at some point, Zion Williams is going to play a lot of his minutes at the five. So you're going to be a quick team and you're going to want to push and run. Then, you know, as Grubb brings up a lot um, about Lonzo being one of the, uh, he's the fastest player in the league to convert a defensive rebound into a score. So you have players on your roster that fit that mold. And I think that's an important thing to carry forward. Um, I also think, uh, my biggest thing that I'm looking for is a, a guy who demands on-court communication, especially on the defensive end, because we haven't seen that since Chris Paul left. Our guys have never talked, um, and that's a huge problem. And you see all the great defenses, all the above-average defenses are have guys that talk and communicate and let each other know where to be, who to, who to switch on, when not to switch. Um, all that communication is just doesn't exist on our team, and we've consistently been a terrible defensive team since Chris Paul left. And I think that's one of the key reasons why. Um, so I definitely want a guy that preaches that. 
All right, now Grub. Uh, obviously, the Pelicans are are, are going to build from the from the bottom up in terms of draft selections, young players, blue chip uh, caliber guys, nineteen to twenty three. Uh, right now, much of the Pelicans' core is made up of twenty two year olds in Lonzo, Brandon Ingram, nineteen year old in Zion, and they're going to keep adding to that young core. Just how important is it that the Pelicans target somebody who has a proven track record of developing young players? I think it's a mistake if that's if that's your path because you're never going to get to where you're trying to go. Like I, I've I've used this example a number of times when we talk about the Toronto Raptors, a small market team. They didn't spend a ton of time developing eight young players. They developed two, three. Fred VanVleet, you know, uh, um, of course Pascal Siakam, and Norman Powell is starting to turn into something, and OG Adenobi maybe turning into something. So, but they didn't, you can't do that with eight. You look at the Milwaukee Bucks and we've talked about them. The, the, the only guys remaining from that team that were drafted when, when um, Giannis was, is Chris Middleton. It's him and Chris Middleton. So a lot of these guys are going to be moved in, uh, over the next few years. You know, the Nuggets couldn't keep Yusuf Nurkic. They're going to have to make some hard choices. You decide who your core is and then you start to fill out around it. And that's what the Pelicans need to do first and foremost. Who are your centerpieces? Who are you going to invest in? And then everything else should be around that mission. And if, that, if, if your mission is trying to develop players, then move to the G League because that shit don't matter. Because the thing to me is, you know, we can talk about pace, but if you go through the top 15 teams in pace, there are just as many bad teams in that group as there are good teams. We can talk about three-point attempts, but there are just as many bad teams in the top 15 as there are good teams. The key to this, we're, we're using these numbers, and we're not talking, talking about basketball players. Find me some fucking professional basketball players who want to compete, who can do more than one thing, who are not one-dimensional, and who are mature enough to come to work every day and build those around your young players. I don't need you don't need nine young players on this roster because by the time they all mature, a lot of them will be ready to move or be too expensive to keep. Now, Ryan, uh, we've obviously talked about coaching and how important that is uh, going to be to developing and, and making a winner out of this group. But we've also talked about how having stable and vocal veterans can also make a world of difference. How important is it to you that the Pelicans go out and, like Chris Connor says, get that um, – I, I, what does he say? Badass? Uh, asshole. 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 <laughs> get that – how important is it, Ryan, to have that asshole in the locker room? Is it just as important as a head coach? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Okay, so – I think I said this on Twitter, but if you're going to replace the head coach, you have to get something to help in the middle and you have to get another backup point guard. That's a veteran. Cause I was even watching DJ Augustine last night. Like I was killing us because they don't know what to do. Like the defense is bad. You can't, if you want to play with pace, you can't be going without, you can't have Derek favor starting. It just hasn't worked this year. He's broken. Uh, and then you need another defender. So, yeah, if you're going to change the coach, you also need to back it up with some roster changes. All right, let's go ahead and dive into roster changes, Ali. Obviously, the Pelicans have a lot of decisions to make. Uh, they, uh, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Drew Holiday are all extension eligible. Brandon Hingram, of course, we expect it's going to get re-signed uh, at, at, I can't remember what it is, 5 p.m. on October 19th, uh, whenever that that uh, threshold uh, reveals itself. But there's also like fringe decisions they need to make on guys like Etwan Moore, Frank Jackson, Jalil Okafor, Kenrich Williams, uh, among others. What is your ideal offseason and what moves would you make? Oh, boy. I mean, first you've got to bring in the coach. So you, you, you're not going to be thinking personnel until you just, you know, you've sat down with the new guy and basically mapped out a strategy and, you know, point of attack, what's going to be the focus, what needs to be shored up. Because for each coach, it's a little bit different. Even though we saw the glaring holes this year, they may not be as glaring under a different, you know, basically schemes and, and an entirely new coaching staff. So until that happens, it's kind of hard to say. But we do know certain things, and I think Ryan touched on it. I mean, I don't think – there were a few that were higher on Derek Favors than us as a collective group this season. Um, we were happy to see the price that the Pelicans paid to get him. And we thought, you know, let's face it, we were getting maybe that Utah – Jazz Derek Favors, but we never saw that guy. I mean, I, I know we've mentioned on the pod a few times, but Grubb and I saw him in the preseason. Me, you know, we started getting worried because he was not moving around like that, you know, Utah guy, that version. So, and and he and he never really improved. I know that he, of course, had to deal with his mom, so he had to he had to leave the team basically for an extended period. So that's going to affect anybody's conditioning. But 
you know, you can use that excuse only for up to a certain point because he had now these last four months during the shutdown to where you thought, okay, maybe he'll get his body right. He'll look more rested and show some of that old explosion or mobility. Didn't see it. I mean, I know his effort is still there and his IQ is off the charts to where it can make up for a lot of things. And I saw that play, even though some people don't want to give him any credit for it. Go look at some old video to where he's not only defending his man, he's still giving help and getting back to his, you know, main assignment and either boarding him off for a rebound or even, you know, contesting the shot nicely. There was no other Pelicans doing it. So that's why it stands out to me. But that aside, Derek Favors is not a guy you can rely on on a winning basketball team for 30 minutes a game over an 82-game season anymore. And that's a big problem because all of us thought that he could be that guy. They would have his bird rights, so they wouldn't have to worry about spending additional money, like, say, if they have cap space, but I don't think they're going to, or use an exception to bring in somebody else. You know, so you thought Favors had on lockdown, but now that he's, you know, kind of this concern, now I'm worried on how you proceed with that roster construction. Because I wrote an article, number one thing, without a doubt, is you've got to get a tall defender on the wing. The Pelicans just got butchered alive. So anytime people are talking about how bad the starting lineup looked, look at which of those teams that they did poorly against had that great, you know, 6'6 or taller scorer slash playmaker. It, it was pretty much against all of them, you know, from the Jazz with Bogdanovich on the wing shooting to, of course, the LeBrons, the Giannis's. So that's the number one concern. You've got to get a, a decent to great defender between Ingram and Zion because they're just that bad. They need the help. And sorry. Drew can only do so much. He, he's always going to be way more effective against guys six foot five or, or smaller. So his effect is honestly minimal. That's why I never translate to the team's defense. People don't understand that. But usually guards defense isn't going to be the main proponent of a good defense. Why? Because they can only do so much. They can't, you know, switch one through five, defend the rim, defend the paint, be the last line of defense. Right. So well, I yeah, would say, me, I oh, God. Those are the screams I used to make when I'd cut myself shaving, you know where. But that was before Manscaped. Thanks, Manscaped, for turning my loud shrieks into multiple peaks. Look, who here doesn't get nervous about grooming their man parts? And that's why Manscaped created the Lawnmower 3.0, beautifully designed to reduce those painful nicks and tugs. The Manscaped engineering team obsesses over technology developments to provide you with the best tools for your family jewels. So many people have written in stories about how the Lawnmower 3.0 has changed their lives. They even included pics so I could see the smoothness for myself. And they aren't kidding. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. As sports keeps coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball's back, and BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right. Visit BetOnline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. And don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back-to-sports bonuses. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Ali, if I may. I would yeah, say sure. this. Drew is like Darrell Rivas. You mm. put him out there on an island mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you can stop anybody. But Drew is not a great team defender. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, he is not able to cover for others' mistakes in that regard. On, no, no, you need an anchor. Down, yeah, you need right. a, a star and, anchor. Right. And that's the thing is, like, you, you need somebody who can switch the two to three immediately or, and get back into the paint once somebody gets past Lonzo or something like that. And they don't have that. And like you said, you need that physical presence. Because Jackson Hayes plays, what, 25 minutes last night? He gets four boards. So it's like you, you see him shooting layups, he, 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 how he was contorting his body around contact. On yeah, layups. he doesn't want me. contact. Right. He doesn't want it. So you have nobody on the roster. Okafor, at the very least, offensively is physical, mm -hmm. but you're still trying to get him to understand how to rebound properly. Maybe he can be a Robin Lopez type presence as where it's just like you say, just box out and allow your teammates to grab rebounds. But if Zion isn't boxing out and grabbing those rebounds, if you're not getting Ingram to box out and grab those rebounds, because he boxed out horribly in the bubble. Yes. Horribly. So if, if you're not getting those basic things, I mean, those are the things that allow you to give up 120 <laughs> points 30 times. 30 times. Yeah. 
All right, let's uh, bounce around to Kevin. Obviously, uh, we, we've covered a lot of ground in terms of off-season plans. So let's let's narrow down the spectrum and just focus on Drew Holiday for a moment, Kevin. I know I've asked you this in the past, and you're you're not going to deal him just to deal him. You're going to w- want to look for a deal that improves your team long term. But with that being said, uh, it's it's going to cost a lot to keep him. You you don't want that hanging over the Pelicans all year long. Uh, like we mentioned, you've got a lot of young players. You're going to have a new coach. Distractions are not something that the Pelicans need right now. Uh, just how important is it that the Pelicans either come to terms uh, with Drew Holiday this summer or do start finding a deal that's worthwhile? Um, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I still don't know the answer to what to do with Drew Holiday. Um, I don't I don't think he's the kind of guy that's going to be a distraction in the locker room. So I don't think you have to worry about it as much as you would with other players. He just doesn't have that personality. Um but, you know, if you were to deal him, I think you could fill a lot of holes. Now, what does that do to your defense? Uh, you know, but like like Grubb said, he doesn't fix team defense. He, he'll shut down a score. So if you can fix team defense by moving them and fill other holes and provide other things that you also need, like a bigger guard or, a, you know, another ball handler, a center, um, a stretch four, whatever that is. Um, you fill multiple holes, then maybe it's the move to make. Um, also, you know, maybe moving on completely from the old era uh, is a good move for this team. I don't know. Um, but I do still see value in Drew. I just think the expectation of what Drew is needs to change for everybody involved. And you can't rely on him as an offensive player. You have to know that he is your defensive stopper that can get you buckets sometimes, but you can't count on those buckets because he's so wildly inconsistent offensively that you have to have an offense built that doesn't dictate the need for him to get you 15, 20 points a game because he can't do that on a consistent basis. Um, But as far as the dealing him in the locker room stuff, I don't think that's really an issue when you're talking about Drew Holiday just because of the kind of person that he is. All right, Ryan, let's get you to to close this one out. Uh, you mentioned that Derek Favors is is breaking down. Ali reiterated that you can't really expect uh, over 82 games for him to give you 30 minutes a night. So, Ryan, I need you to plug that hole for us. The Pelicans have the mid-level exception available to them. Of course, they have endless assets they could use in any trade. Is there a certain player or even a certain type of player that you're targeting to help fill that gap and anchor the defense? Yes, but that type of player is super rare. You're not going to find like a Brook Lopez somewhere. So they need to like, I don't, I don't know. Is Aaron Baines that guy? He's going to cost money. Money is going to be a huge issue this offseason with the COVID. We might lose, what, $10 million in cap. So it's almost impossible to predict here. And I'm fine with favors coming back, but I don't want him to start, if that makes sense. No, that makes absolute sense. Uh, I'm not sure that he would want that. I know there are certain teams like uh, the Charlotte Hornets who, oh, sorry, did I cut you off? Oh, yeah, I was just saying he probably wants to go back to Utah. There are a lot of people in Utah who believe that he's coming back. A lot. A lot. How many, Grub? A A lot. lot. I mean, I I did a podcast. I did a podcast with some some, um, folks from Utah, and they said that there are consistent rumors that Favors has been reaching back to the Jazz front office about right. Favors has, back. but does it make any sense for a team that Not you know has Rudy Gobert? Not it doesn't Utah. make any sense to me personally. In the playoffs, we've seen Rudy Gobert unplayable times, but then you're going to go ahead and go out of your way to bring Favors back. What kind? Of, I just I don't see it. it doesn't make to any me, sense. It seems Plus, like Charlotte makes the most sense if he does go somewhere because Atlanta he can't go there because Capella's there, even though he's from Georgia. You know he ain't going to Atlanta. They need a center in Charlotte to at least give them something. Or Boston, actually, because Boston has no bigs. That's their oh, biggest yeah. problem. Like Ennis Canner? Yeah, I, mean, I think Canner and Daniel Feast are better. but he can't defend. No, he I can't know that defend. he's terrible at defense. Yeah, so, I mean, at least if you can put favors on the floor with the guys that they have on the perimeter, that's Boston's problem is closing out possessions and getting defensive boards. Favors still did that at an insanely high rate, even though he wasn't his best this year. And Detroit's another uh, possible landing spot with the departure of Andre Drummond sliding him next to Blake Griffin could help anchor that defense. And they've got plenty of money to spend, so they're probably going to throw some money at Fred Van Fleet if the Raptors aren't willing to match it. Anyway, we're we're getting off on a tangent. Hey, real quick. I, I want just... <laughs> <laughs> to finish out that Drew Holiday discussion on whether they should maybe what, what they should do basically with him. And I, I was digging through some numbers and basically just looking at 
the differences between the Pelicans' wins and what happened differently in the losses since December 18th, right? Since when they became a much better team on paper and in our eyes. So guess who showed the most variance in terms of production and efficiency uh, between wins and losses? Who, who, yeah, who vacillated the most? Who do you think? Drew Holiday. Yeah, in, in wins, 22.6 points per game, you know, a field goal percentage over 50, three-point percentage over 40. On In the losses, 14 losses, it dropped all the way down to 13.9 points per game, 38.9 uh, field goal percentage and 24 three-point shooting percentage. Nobody else had any kind of noticeable drop in their production and losses uh, except for Drew. So that just goes to show you, yeah. one, how much he affected, I feel like, the team. Because he's always, let's face it, he's, if it's not B.I., it, it's basically Drew creating when they get in the half court. So they, they have a big reliance on him and his role. But too often, he, he wasn't able to come through. So I, I think that should factor in David Griffin's thinking. You know, I just wanted to make a point. I'm going to turn this into an article because I only came across it yesterday while watching, you know, what, whatever the hell we watched last night. But, yeah, I, I just – that shocked me. You know, almost, you know, nine points less per game and the shooting percentage is just woeful. And like I said, B, I still, I mean, you know, scored the same amount. Zion, JJ, you look at Lonzo. Everybody actually performed better in the losses, but Drew, nope, he was the one that went straight down, you know, to God knows where. Yeah, I mean, that's what I, I was on Grub's favorite podcast, the Top 5 podcast, and he asked me who I thought was, the like, you know, the most important player and who's going to affect the bubble performance the most. And I said it was Drew Holiday, and it's either going to be for the good or for the worse because that's how it goes. Like, right. he swings how, how we do – his offensive performance swings – how we are in games and you know that's why I think if you keep them around you have to have another creator it can't just be Ingram that you rely on and you can't give it to Drew to rely on him because he's been you know so wildly inconsistent he's I would take a even a like step Ryan. further Kevin I, I would hope that Ingram and Zion are both ready to be your one and two every single time options because you can't leave it in Drew's hands I feel like yep that, that, that's what my yeah, viewpoint sure. basically is, as, as you're just mentioning. But I think, you know, like even like Zion isn't going to be a guy for a couple of years who can really create his own shot from anywhere. You know, Great. you need another guy that's a three-level threat that can create for himself like Ingram is. So that's why, you know, you look at adding another sort of veteran point guard or another guy on the wing that, that has that ability um, to take that pressure off of Drew or you move Drew for, you know, whatever, you know, a, a starting center and a, and a shot creator, something like that, you know. You guys remember the rumors before the last trade deadline? How great would it have been to have basically moved him for either Tyler Hero or Michael Porter Jr.? I mean, those guys have been incredible, especially here in the bubble, I feel like. Just wanted to throw that out there. I know that I think Griff or whatever, the Pelicans, when they were doing their due diligence, shot high, and but they, you know, struck out. They weren't able to land any of those really key young guys that they had targeted. So it's a shame because, like I said, now these young kids are looking amazing, and Drew probably would have been a better fit somewhere else. I, I don't know if that deal is going to be there anymore. Were you saying something, Ryan? Yeah, I still want to bring Drew, Brat Drew back because uh, then they'll go from one to zero defenders. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, a fair point. Right. Uh, Ryan, go ahead and talk about not not just your thoughts on Drew Holiday, but just in terms of before the season started, we were obviously very excited. We had a lot of young, promising players. From then until now, what is your outlook for this franchise long term? And is Drew a part of that? I think you have to approach that this summer. If you can't in an extension, he probably has till the deadline. That's kind of the same with Lonzo, too, to be honest for me. But I'm I'm still really high on this franchise because you have Ingram and Zion. That's that you're building blocks, but you have to get this coaching hire right if there's a coaching hire. But uh, the rookies, you know, kind of fizzled out in excitement. <laughs> and uh, I, you have to get vets on this team. That Like, there's no question. Like, Grub, Grub is 100% right about that. No, and Grub, uh, go ahead and – oh, sorry, I cut you off. No, no, that's it. I'm done. 
Oh, sorry. Grub, go ahead and, and talk further about that because the, the Pelicans obviously have seven open spots right now if nobody gets dealt. Uh, J.J. Redick is heading into the, the final year of his two-year agreement. That's somebody who could potentially be on the move if he wants to play for a contender. But even if he stays, you've still got so many open spaces. How do the Pelicans manage to fill those with veterans when really all they have at their disposal is the mid-level exception? Well, you can still... You, you let Darius go. You you know you, you get rid of that contract. You let each one go because again, I think you don't need to be duplicating any more six four players. And each one, I just his value, I think at this point is greater in in moving him than keeping him. Um, especially if you bring Didi over, um, and you're hoping to fill give him minutes. You're hoping for Nikhil to get better. And like and I absolutely agree, they need a veteran point guard too. Um, and there will be there are always inexpensive veteran backups options the key is the, to set the culture that's what next year is going to be about with the new coach is setting a culture and that means finding veterans who again are professionals who are going to teach these guys that this is what you do when you come into the building this is how you practice this is what that commitment really means and this is what how you go from being a basketball player to a winner because all those things have to be have to come from the top down and the pelicans can't overpromise and underdeliver next year if you're going to be realistic next year and say yeah, we've got these great stars, but we're doing this. We're filling this out. I'll live with that. But if you and me again next year, if we're going through this whole thing and you have not dealt with those basic issues to at least make yourself competitive defensively, because I think if you have a competitive defensive team, you, your stars are still going to flourish. But if you don't address that and if you don't get a mindset of being a more physical team, if you don't get a mindset of being a more mentally tough team, and that has to start from the top. It's going to come from Griffin. It's going to come from if it's Alvin, if it's going to, if it's going to be the next coach. Those, to me, are the things. This team needs an identity and a philosophy, and they have not had that. Not under Monty, not under – even under, at the end of Byron Scott's tenure, you didn't know who this team was. And until they establish that, they're just going to be a middling franchise. All right, let's go ahead and move big picture because there still are a lot of games to be played. We've got the play-in tournament uh, starting tomorrow with the Memphis Grizzlies and the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, much to my chagrin, I would have loved to see Phoenix have the opportunity to go toe-to-toe with, with Portland. But uh, we, we still have all four rounds of the playoffs to look forward to. Kevin, what are you most excited to watch? Um, I'm excited to see that, that um, Portland go against the Lakers. I don't necessarily think they have a chance to beat them but i think they have a chance to make that series fun because the lakers don't have anybody to guard their backcourt and then the you know while portland's defense is terrible um they do have big men to put hands on anthony davis which he hates so um it'll be interesting to to watch that and especially if there is if portland is able to steal a game or two to see what kind of drama it creates in that lakers locker room um, I'm also interested in seeing how the Nets do because, you know, uh, with all the player turnover and the losses that they had going into the bubble, um, they played super hard and they have a lot of young guys that I think are fun. And, you know, I've always liked Car- Caris LeVert a whole lot and I like Jared Allen a lot um, to see how they fare in the East and see if anybody can challenge the Bucks for that East spot if Toronto or Boston can make it interesting um, over there. And also um, the Thunder. I mean, the Thunder are a very interesting team, I think, that are a dark horse to make it out of the West if uh, the Lakers have some injury trouble and if L.A. doesn't seem to – I mean, if the Clippers don't gel, they haven't really gelled that much in the ball. Weird. Um, they don't look dominant, though, you know, we know that can be turned on in the playoffs. But um, those are things that I'm looking at, and I think the Thunder could be a sneaky – sneak in there at least at least get into the uh western conference finals if not the finals ali go ahead and expand on that talk about which teams you're looking forward to watching and and who do you hope comes out of each conference yeah um i should just give you grief because of the conversation last night our dm chat right with portland and lakers but no i don't i don't think there's going to be much to see that i do think that portland's going to give them a run in in at least a couple of the games because they have been playing for every or meaningful minutes in every single game just to get into the playing tournament, which, and of course, hopeful, hopefully the playoffs. As for the Lakers, you know, they haven't looked good and they look more just LeBron James and AD and hey, there's the rest of the guys kind of team to where, you know, I'm worried about their chances against a better team, right? As they advance, I don't foresee them making it to the finals. I mean, I'll be honest with you, but 
as far as the first round matchups, man, I don't think there's a better one in the West than, uh, let me see, let me bring it up real quick. Cause I don't know them off the top of my head. <laughs> who's a, who's OKC playing guys. Do you know off the top of your head? I'm trying to say my- yes, Rockets. the Rockets. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the one. I feel like the thunder can really honestly shock people because they have been one of the best, if not the best team in clutch time this year. And, and the team with Chris Paul and a bunch of, you know, feisty young uh, fighters on that squad. And you've got Steven Adams, you can trust down low. I think they're a formidable challenge, you know, and if they're knocking down their three, okay. you got to think with Gallinari out there, they will. And the Rockets, you know, this whole thing with Russell Westbrook, I mean, what is it? He's going to miss at least part of the first round now for sure. So they're in trouble. I don't like their chances at all. And people like to talk about Dallas and Denver. While Denver has suddenly looked better because of Michael Porter, I still think OKC is going to be like that Cinderella team to watch. Ryan, go ahead. Also with that Denver Rockets series, they're staying in the same hotel. So that can provide some interesting stuff off the court as well. Yeah, I enjoyed that uh, Twitter thread of uh, Jalen Brown and Donovan Mitchell, where where it appeared as if Donovan Mitchell had been stalking Jalen Brown for the entirety of their stay in the bubble. And it's 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 really cool. This is a unique time like any other and that all these teams can sort of mingle. They're all uh, hanging out at the same spots. Ryan, go ahead and, and expand on this. Uh, obviously, I, I want the Lakers to fail as spectacularly as possible. Uh, and and they've been kind of flummoxing lately. They've they've been struggling. They haven't looked offensively the way they did during the regular season. What are some other storylines that you're really excited to highlight? I just want to see Luka in the playoffs. Like that's basically what I'm looking forward to. And Milwaukee, I want them to win the championship. I haven't been shy about that. Yeah, I I'm think with you. I'm, I'm all for that. I think it's unfortunate that Luca is drawing uh, the Clippers in the first round. I was, yes. I was really hoping they could move up to the sixth spot, and uh, the Mavericks and the Nuggets would have been a much more compelling watch, in my opinion. So, sorry, go yeah. ahead. Jazz Nuggets is boring to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and and I, I don't want Luca out in the first round. I would love to see him advance to the second round, but I, I would be shocked if, if that happened in this scenario. Grub, go ahead and finish this out for us. Uh, some some storylines. We talked about the Nets, the Lakers, uh, Luca. The, the, the Thunder Rockets. Is there anything we haven't covered that's really going to be uh, an exciting storyline? I mean, I think you have to just see what the Blazers are capable of. I, I, I continue to think that they're the dark horse in all of this. I think they, the Lakers is a very favorable matchup for them. I think Anthony Davis has never been a playoff favorite um, before in his life, and that pressure is going to be different. And LeBron James is starting to look a little bit of his 36. The Lakers aren't making shots. I think you could very well see the Clippers and the Blazers in the Western Conference Finals, and and I would that wouldn't shock me at all. I think uh, and in the East, I would love for this to be the coronation of Giannis at this age because he's proven to be one of those players that everybody says that they want on their team. The guy who does the work in the off season, who is utterly dedicated to his craft, doesn't want to share his secrets he doesn't want to share his workouts with anybody other than his brothers and he comes back every year better and more determined to win and i think that's the kind of new player as the league starts to transition into whatever era is next those are the guys who you want to see leading all right you guys we're getting around an hour mark so we'll get go ahead and finish up and get some last thoughts obviously we've got ali cosell kevin barrios david grubb and ryan a bear with us We'll start with Ollie. I'm reading some comments in the chat thread about guys you you don't want to hire, but but just unwind for a moment. Uh, the Pelicans are scheduled to fly home today. JJ Reddick said he's going to be on the beach by tomorrow. Uh, heading forth into the off season, what are your plans, Ollie Cosell? Mm, I haven't had a chance to really think about it, but I mean we're still in the middle of a pandemic, so how many plans can we have? And Preston, I love that you wanted what for all of us to take a trip now to Cancun. Since we didn't do Las Vegas, what's that about? Let me let, let's put you on the spot. What are your plans? <laughs> I mean, I'll 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 be honest and just get real with you guys for a second. I, I know we've all had our our share of struggles, and uh, I I'll just say that over the uh, a lot's happened over the past five months, and uh, just unwinding with your friends is something that's that's something that's been desperately needed for me. It's been uh, really hard to be quarantined with my wife and my newborn and my mother-in-law with, I, I won't bore you guys with all the detail, but so many health issues happening throughout my family. Of course, there's the financial uh, uncertainty and, and just the inability to, to spend time with people that you care about and just kind of unwind and vent and, and just give each other a hard time. That's something that's been 
that's been really difficult for to for me personally to go without. But I, I know there's so many things affecting so many people. I, I'm not trying to argue that you know anything I'm experiencing is is any more difficult than anybody else. But just the idea of I, I truly look forward to that Vegas trip every single year. Um, it's something I have in my calendar, and there's so few times in my life because of how hard we all work that I have the opportunity to really highlight a, a trip like that and really have something to look forward to like that. So losing that um, was something that was that was really hard for me, and I'm sure it has been for others. But again, don't want to make this a pity party. I, I just want to say how much I value those kind of instances to to share time with with my friends and to talk basketball and to, and to goof off and and to go see Ant Man and Wasp uh, and that sort of thing. So um, I, I would look love to to come up with something like that, but I know that uh, times dictate uh, hard choices right now. Uh, now that I've gone on my soapbox, Kevin, uh, what about you, man? Uh, one two three laworks.net. That's where I'll be filling out <laughs> unemployment. Uh, information still because I still have not <laughs> been contacted by my employer, even though they've been open for like three weekends now. Um, doing Insane. that and uh, drawing birds and you know trying to maybe make that more of a full time thing. Like even once we go back to uh, to work, uh, maybe cut down my days again to where I used to do it, where to like three days a week and and just uh, focus the rest of the time on making stuff. Uh, is that's been really rewarding, uh, whether it's designing albums or just drawing um, and being able to eat off of that um, has been really nice to not go and hurt my back and my my ribs being out of place all the time and, you know, dealing with people yelling at me over bacon bits or no bacon bits or that the bacon bits are fake or whatever, you know, all these things that I really don't care about. Um, and now having to deal with people that, probably don't want to wear a mask or follow guidelines and care about our safety and all of those things, uh, which seem like a total nightmare. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm planning on doing. Uh, you know, finding a new way to once again, have a revenue stream that is, is fun and rewarding instead of something that just makes me a lot of money and, uh, and doesn't necessarily make me happy. It gave me some freedom, but it also is, has a lot of drawbacks to it. So um, now that passions are being more monetized, it's been a very good thing for me. And Grub, if you wouldn't mind uh, expanding on this, I, I know you're in a position where you have a beautiful young daughter who's got to go back to school. And a lot of that's got to be done virtually now. And that's a whole new world, a whole new spectrum that you're and your wife are going to have to navigate. What has that been like for you? It's hard right now. Um, you know, we're trying to create a schedule um, that we can all know and understand and learn but it's still it's difficult to create a routine for a kid you know what i mean just they they're still kids and it's um and then i'm trying to do what i do um and you know put together five sometimes six podcasts a week and and continue to do things so it's it's difficult but i mean it's it's necessary and what we have to do so we'll figure it out um so uh i just i, I sympathize with all those parents out there who are doing this and especially the ones who have kids at different grade levels and, and all those types of things. It's, it's not going to be easy, but I just, I don't feel safe sending my kid to school and my kid doesn't feel safe going there. I think that's totally fair. Uh, given the the climate that we're living in right now, Ryan, I don't know a whole lot about you, man. Uh, go ahead and, and take the floor. Uh, <laughs> what have you been doing the last five months and what are, what are you looking forward to as, as the numbers? I, my, I just spoke to my father last night. He said the numbers in new Orleans are, are super low. I don't know where they are in other uh, realms of the country. Obviously, things are difficult in Florida, but how are things for you right now? Uh, I live in Lafayette, and they are not good here. Is, <laughs> so uh, I'm doing nothing. I'm going to grad school because I'm doing nothing starting Monday. <laughs> and hey, then, congrats. Yeah, yeah, man. yeah, that was out your way. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I mean, it was freaking early in the morning, but I was doing it. A- yeah, you should have hit me up, man. I, but uh, I'll see y'all after there's a vaccine. uh, i'm also doing virtual learning with my daughter who has no attention span so i'm not looking forward to it (laughs) 
All right. Well, we do thank you guys for spending your year with us. Obviously, uh, we're we're about to finish our first year with the Armchair Media Network. So big shout out to Andrew Stevens, who I know is listening to this. Uh, it's been our pleasure to to work with you guys, but mostly to all you guys for listening. Thanks for listening to us just like banner and shoot the shit and pretend to know stuff about basketball. Um, it's really a thrill to interact with you guys. We're getting more and more questions every podcast. So thank you guys for all chiming in and, and being a part of this podcast with us. Uh, you can always help us out. Uh, we don't need money or anything you know just spread the word go on itunes give us a rating uh, spotify uh, wherever podcasts are found and of course do the same for david grubb you can find him at hard in the paint uh, and do the same for him and uh we're really excited to continue to bring you guys content uh as we get more news we'll we'll have more podcasts we'll have more articles ollie's going to continue to write i'm going to continue to write david's going to continue to write and kevin is working on something with mr christopher uh, b connor that hopefully will be unveiled soon i'm really excited to read that Uh, But for now, thank you guys for listening. Let's dance. Let's go Pels. Thank you for listening to the Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today. Black Lives Matter, and we're continuing to do our part here at the Bird Calls. That's why we've created the Armchair All-American Scholarship. Thanks to contributions from Armchair, myself, Music is My Refuge, R. Anders 36, Andrew Juge, Ralph Malbro, and many more, Armchair Media will be issuing four $500 scholarships per semester to aspiring black creatives. The criteria is African-American, under 21, and in a creative field. To apply, send something you've created, whether photography, art, music, anything, to scholarship at armchairallamericans.com. We can't wait to see your application. Across California, school food professionals are using their skills to develop recipes that incorporate fresher ingredients and more scratch cooking. Learn how they're cooking up change at schoolfoodpros.org. Grant provided by California Community College's Chancellor's Office.